We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. Rereading, rereading our favorite books. I feel like there's so much in this book that like has potential, and that's like it's because like I clearly enjoyed these elements because I. I I liked the like foundations for these characters and the potential they had and I also um as Casey knows I I love me some some bickering couples so Shasta and Aramis are like great uh, God I hope it's not a Sam's Quamsh I hate those bastards so like I love the line at the end about like. They got so used to arguing that they decided to get married so they could keep doing it more conveniently. And I'm like, great. I love it. And I love the fact that like we get, yeah, really uh, depictions of flaws. Bree's ideas are shown to be bad and wrong sometimes. And I do think that I wanted to, this is a little bit of a transition, but like I wanted to also point out this moment where I think that really some interesting stuff could have been done with Shasta's character that's, that's not in terms of like uh, talking about like, yeah, racism or like, the discrimination between cultures or him like feeling that cultural transition when he has been uh, accidentally kidnapped by the Narnians because they think he's Corin, he listens to them talk and we're told uh, it never came in his head to tell these Narnians the whole truth and ask for their help. So like we're told one, he, he doesn't trust adults because of what his uh, adoptive father did to him. Um, and I think that's obviously like there could be a whole arc about abuse right. in there. But he also then says, and he thought that even if the Narnian king might be friendly to the two horses because they were talking beasts of Narnia, he would hate Arvis because she was a collar mean and either uh, sell her for a slave or send her back to his father. And I thought that's interesting because I think Shasta like accidentally remarks on like the racism of the Narnians and that they would discriminate and he's worried about it. And then you see him very shortly afterwards Corin comes back and he instantly sort of trusts Corin and tells him everything and I feel like there could be there's like some interesting things there right like some interesting ideas that like yeah one the effect of his abuse on him two the fact that he's somehow that he does actually have a recognition of the racism and discrimination that's going on on the Narnians part and how they're talking about the color means and like the idea that he intrinsically trusts this boy who, like, obviously looks just like him, but is also, like, another kid. I don't know. There's, don't, don't you think something really interesting could be done there, Casey? Aren't the, the, the terms there <laughs> for someone to, like, do something with? I think so. Honestly, I think that the underpinnings of this story, there there's a lot of potential here that just was absolutely not realized and it is it is unfortunate that like c.s lewis didn't see that but it's i think this just gets back to his flaws as a writer where he doesn't see notions of power how race informs ideology how his native culture is informing his ideology and it is it is unfortunate because i think that there's a lot of opportunities where we could have really explored more of that relationship between Shasta and Corrin. We could have explored more of the relationship between Erevis and Shasta. I mean, it kind of would have been cool, actually, if the group had been joined by a true outsider. Because all these characters, 
either they were kidnapped at a young age or they were born in Kalerman. And so they were all raised in this culture. Wouldn't it have been interesting if, for whatever reason, Corin joined the group and tagged along and we saw these different cultures sort of butting heads? Especially, I can I could imagine Corin and Erevis, the fights that oh, they yeah. would get into. Those would not be fun bickering fights. They would not, but they would have been so in- informative and so interesting to watch and to see how these two cultures clash and ultimately reconcile in a way that doesn't essentially say Corin's culture is better than Erevis's, but rather say like they both bring certain values that are both positive and negative in different contexts and there's merit to both of their ways of thinking like and i i don't think we've we've explicitly talked about this like it's very clear that in addition to the sort of middle eastern vibes that c.s lewis is pulling from he's also very much pulling from muslim or well quote-unquote muslim values and it's it shouldn't have to be said, but Islam inherently is not a bad religion or culture. It is just as capable as any other culture of doing good things and bad things. That is just the human condition. People, what a bunch of bastards. So it would have been cool to see that play out in this book. Even, I want to say, bring her back up because I think she's a fascinatingly bizarre addition to this book. Even Lassarine, or Lassarline, Lassarline, I think is actually how you say her name, but let's just stick with Lass. Even her her portion, I think you could do something really interesting because it's, uh, so Erebus runs into her old friend Lass while she's in Tashban, right? And has to kind of go with her for a while to avoid getting caught. And Lass multiple times keeps trying to be like, hey, are you sure you want to leave? Are you sure you want to leave? And and there's there's moments where Erebus is like, oh, man, like, I remember how much I enjoyed certain things or like, I'm going to miss this. But like, while she has some good attributes, like she does help Erebus. She doesn't tell anyone. She's very loyal to her friend, but she's generally shown to be very vain and shallow and she loves clothing she loves her clothing oh my god she is sensing a pattern here it, it, this is the second edition of <laughs> you c.s lewis let women wear lipstick <laughs> but she's a really fascinating character because she is she is good to Erebus. like Erebus is quite frankly terrible to her yes and and Lass is it's really nice and helpful to her. Um, unfortunately, Lass is also horrible to her slaves and has a lot of negative attributes. But like, it could be interesting if you made Lass just a little bit more dynamic of a character to have like Erebus have this real moment of conflict when she's with Lass and be like, am I sure I want to leave? And and have Lass be, uh, yeah, a more a mixed bag character than she's, I don't know. I just think that's another moment where more complexity could have been added and I think because this is happening at the same time that Shasta is with the Narnians and having kind of conflicted moments, you could have a very interesting parallel thing of them both having to like fully commit to their decision, but be torn about it. I agree. I don't necessarily have too many problems with, with Lass outside of just, well, C.S. Lewis is sexist. So, of course, Lass is superficial in the most 
aggravatingly stereotypical way, but I feel like there's an opportunity there to show somebody who is a part of this Calamine culture who is happy with this culture, who actually finds a lot of value out of it. For her, in the way it's depicted, it's because she's rich and can eat fancy foods and live in fancy palaces and get more clothing and all that jazz. That said, like there is an opportunity there to show this sort of other side of Erevis's story of somebody who is basically going through the same exact thing or who has gone through the exact thing that Erevis is facing and is actually happy. And, and so you can sort of see this other narrative happening and really have Erevis tackle that. But then like, you know, have the character work with that and realize actually, no, like this isn't me. This isn't who I am, which is actually kind of why I hated that she got married at the end. That just completely, Erevis was this like super independent. She could handle herself. And then she just kind of gets married off and it's like, well, like, does that really fit her character that she would escape this situation? Like, yeah, she gets to choose, I suppose, to marry Shasta. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. It it didn't fit with the way I was sort of seeing her in my head. I think that for a, we'll, let's quickly derail onto this, but I think for me, like, the way I saw it is one, like, these characters... Again, we're not told their ages. I'm assuming they're 13 or 14 here. And so, you know, for her, she's she's young. She's not a fully, like, formed human being. No idea whether or not she's gone through puberty even. So, like, her feelings on marriage and men and everything are going to be different. That said, I think that, like, it would be nice if we got something in the epilogue that was, like, something other than just her getting married. And, like, the insinuation that we're given because uh, King King Loon, the king of Archenland, his wife is, is dead. She did. He's, like, at the end, he's like, oh, it's, it'll be so nice to have a woman's touch about the house. And so it'd be great if it wasn't, like, oh, she immediately starts running the palace and then eventually she and, and Kor get married or Shasta or whatever we're calling him. It would be great if we were, like, and Erebus, like, went on to, like, do other things. And then at some point, she and Shasta got married. And, like, I still think that's okay. I think the weird thing is that she immediately gets put back into this domestic sphere. Even more immediately than getting married, because there's a yes. there's a quote in there where they Queen Lucius showed up for the final battle. Which, why is oh, it yeah, not Queen Susan? About, we have to talk about this stuff. But yes, yeah. we have to talk about this because, oh boy so many contradictions but anyway yes. so at the end after rabidash is defeated and like humiliate and we'll talk about that as well lucy basically leads Erevis away to i i can't remember how exactly sis lewis puts it but basically to go talk girl things and it's like what the fuck cs lewis you know it's yeah. like you take this character who in so many ways is strong and independent like she concocted this whole scheme to get away and give herself time to escape her her home situation she's literally wearing her brother's armor throughout most of this book she is really in complete defiance of the kind of superficiality that cs has assigned to women in this series and then suddenly you have that moment where well 
now she's in a palace or she's in a castle she will instantly assume quote-unquote feminine responsibilities and it's just like it's so it's so gross yes so here is my i want to talk a little bit about sexism and CSS. so on uh page 99 of my edition we have Lass and Erebus like first kind of coming back and starting to talk and she uh Lass isn't really interested in hearing what Erebus has to say and she's making a fuss about choosing what dress she's gonna wear and then Erebus it says Erebus remembered now that Lassarine had always been like that interested in clothes and parties and gossip Erebus had always been more interested in bows and arrows and horses and dogs and swimming so we're very much given the like Erebus is not like other girls moment which is not my favorite trope but like it is established Erebus does not like care about clothing or anything that's not her thing but um we do have a very nice goodbye between the two of them where you know Erebus says uh, goodbye and I thought your dresses were lovely and I think your house is lovely too I'm sure you'll have a lovely life though it wouldn't suit me so like there's a kind of a nice moment of recognition that like Lass is valid at least in Erebus's mind and but Erebus wants a different kind of life. But yeah, then you get the moment her meeting Lucy and they liked each other once and soon went away to talk together about Erebus's bedroom, Erebus's boudoir and getting clothes for her and all the sorts of things girls do on such an occasion, which is weird because we're also given Lucy as, so as you all remember from Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe, we're told that you know battles are ugly when women fight, but Lucy shows up in freaking armor and she's going to be with the archers and that's great. But then the explanation we're given for this by Corin, so uh, Shasta asks where Queen Susan is and then Corin says that she's at Care Paravel. She's not like Lucy, you know, who's as good as a man or at any rate as good as a boy. Queen Susan is more like an ordinary grown-up lady. So <laughs> there's like... <laughs> This idea, yeah, like somehow it, that means like Lucy and Erebus must be more like masculine, and that's why there it's okay for them to do this thing. Yet also they must then carry out these other stereotypically feminine things, and there's there's no resolution to that. Like, okay, this is a step forward at least from <laughs> the line the witch in the wardrobe. This is better. Yay! That does not mean it is good. Aww. It's just this really strange thing. And yeah, that does make like Erebus's ending all the more strange. I wish we had gotten like an Erebus who like, yes, she can like horses and hunting and riding and all of those things. And she can also marry Shasta and like, she can do both. But like, uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's another missed opportunity. And there's like, suggestions throughout the book that you know Erevis has been trained in horseback riding clearly she clearly knows how to like put on armor she can recognize that Bree is a war horse she has this not necessarily military training but she's aware and she is capable of performing certain tasks that the book acknowledges that Shasta is not and it seems like, okay, so there's an opportunity there to like examine, well, what kind of training did Erevis receive? Is it is it kind of like a a Rohan type of vibe where the women are trained to maybe not necessarily fight, but they are certainly trained to be just as hardy and just as hardworking as the men. And it's like, okay, that would have been interesting to sort of look at how does 
Erevis then respond to this expectation that she will assume this domestic role. And it should, like, just to be absolutely clear, we are not saying that women who do assume more traditional roles are bad in any way. If that's what you enjoy and gives you meaning and a sense of purpose in life, fan-fucking-tastic. Good for you. Happy to hear that. But clearly, Erevis in this whole story has been setting up, this is not the life for me. So she should have been given an opportunity to live a life that she wanted to live. Or at the very least, respond to Lucy and be like, fuck off. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hang out with all the soldiers here and drink some beer or something. I don't know. Yeah. And you know what would be, this just came to me, Casey. Let's hear it. Like, what would have been just a great alteration? So we have this this great scene of like Corin bullies Shasta into like joining with the army, which he does not want to do, and he has no freaking clue what he's doing. <laughs> and there's this great scene of him just bumbling around, but he's in the middle of combat, and Erebus and the horses are still uh, with a hermit that they're with for some reason. They're watching in a magic pool, but like, can't you imagine a great situation where like Erebus somehow is able to like ride in and like rescue Shasta and like put her military training to use like he's in a situation of danger he shouldn't be in and instead of him just like miraculously making it out okay like that Erebus gets to use those skills and like after Shasta has saved her he helped save her from the lion that is Aslan although we later find out she wasn't in actual danger but like she sees it as he saved her and now she gets to come in and save him and put all of these skills that we hear she has to use and like that's how she then enters Archenland, and she's like celebrated for helping save the prince and like they see her as like a warrior woman like wouldn't that fit with her character wouldn't that be great morgan i i applaud you i think that's that would have been so much more satisfying because we have this situation where after erevis is attacked by aslan she is holed up for a little bit because she's injured and she's recovering and at a certain point, the book makes it clear she is fully recovered by the next day. And she's able to, like, go out and do things. But, as you said, instead she just stays with this hermit who helped heal her. And it's like, you're setting it up this whole time that Bree is a warhorse. And Bree keeps mentioning, oh, Narnians fight war the correct way, or whatever nonsense he says. And you set it up that... Erevis has her brother's armor, and her brother died in a war, and that does not go examined at all in this book. You have all these pieces set up to allow Erevis to come in as the hero to rescue Shasta. And you know what? If C.S. Lewis doesn't want her to fight in the battle because that would be quote-unquote ugly, fine. That's okay. You do you, C.S., but at least give her an opportunity to be a hero and not just yeah. to stand on the sidelines watching Shasta like bumble his way into like not dying. Yeah. And it would even kind of tie in with her character arc because it could be like, you know, she's been kind of really only thinking about herself. She put the servant in danger. She put the slave in danger. She put Lassarine, Lassarine in danger. Like she keeps putting people in danger to get what she wants. And then you know, Shasta turns back and saves her. And this is a big, like, wow moment for her. And maybe this is the moment where she's like, maybe she is still injured and, and she shouldn't be going out. But she's like, it doesn't matter. 
I need to go save him. Like, I'm thinking about him. And, like, that could be part of her character arc. More more applause for you, Morgan. We should we should need to be hired to write this adaptation, clearly. Indeed. Netflix, we're available. We'll work for cheaper than anyone in Hollywood, too. So much cheaper. <laughs> Hire us. Yes. Um, you know what I would have loved to see? I would have loved to see her. So she rides up into this battle, grabs Shasta, pulls him up onto Bree, and they run away. And maybe she hits somebody who's trying to attack them or whatever. And then Father Christmas, out of nowhere, just shows up. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> and then Erevis just smacks him, smacks him across the face, and and he's just obliterated, and literally everybody stops battling just to cheer the death of Father Christmas. I, I hope Netflix stopped listening before I, I talked about that, because I think I've, I've lost us our, our jobs as showrunners. <laughs> this is going to be our way out. Just, just a super small note here just because like since we're talking about revisions to the lion the witch and the wardrobe with the whole loose season battle thing one edmund is like a boy in battle is a danger only to his own side and i was like edmund you fought as a child <laughs> it's like maybe maybe you know what i'm okay with that because maybe he f***ing had ptsd from yeah. from that fight and he's like i do not want another kid going through that it's probably just that C.S. Lewis is dumb and, and doesn't keep track of this. And then the other weird revision is that when they're all telling stories, Lucy tells the story about them in the wardrobe. But then, like, not too many years in the future, the four of them are going to have somehow completely forgotten that they came through a wardrobe from another world and, like, be very confused about the lamp post and what's happening and all of that. You are so right. It's so weird. Oh my god, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so to put this in the category of like weird revisions to the line, the witch in the wardrobe that show C.S. Lewis was retconning everything. You know, yeah. My boy's wicked smart. I mean, I think to be fair, all of these things that he's changed, letting Lucy fight, saying that children shouldn't fight, and having Lucy remember how the hell she got to Narnia are all things that I think are better than the line, the witch in the wardrobe. So I'm okay with it, but just want to put it out there that like we had discussed like how much did Clive know what he was doing uh, what's going on and and this kind of proves he he did not it would have helped if he'd thought about these things beforehand but I'm glad at least in these small ways that he's willing to backtrack on what he said and make the stories well I wouldn't say this is better but improve certain things in certain also, areas dwarves are good now yeah, I guess so. Again, these stories are very, very sloppy. They do some things well. They do a lot of things not very well. I will say, even though Aslan, his presence in this book is very, very minimal. Like, he doesn't actually speak until the very end of the book. Yeah. I hated Aslan so much ah. in this book. <laughs> ah... He didn't have much opportunity to give me to hate him, but oh boy, he really took advantage of the few moments that he had. Okay, so this is actually interesting because I think that this is possibly my favorite use of Aslan in any of the book. <laughs> uh-huh. Not so much the part where he like maims Ervis, <laughs> but I like the fact that he's just kind of 
subtly there making things happen. I mean, subtly, like, air quotes around that. But um, also, to be fair, really love the scene of him and Shasta talking because he gets in a couple of one-liners that are just great. For instance, like, Shasta's like, who are you? And Aslan's reply, like, so they've been walking alongside each other for, like, a long time. It's been a while. And Shasta finally gets up the nerve to ask Aslan who he is. And Aslan's like, one who has waited long for you to speak. And I'm like, <laughs> love that. That's just terrific. A sassy cat is always good. Yes. And then Shasta's like, are you a ghost? And I love this moment of, like, Aslan breathes on him. And it's like, that's not the breath for a ghost. But by the way, Aslan has died before this so like technically it is kind of the breath of a ghost and that's just hysterical also aslan we get to find out aslan does lick things great love it i want to pause on that for a second because there's one description that i thought was so comical where um cs writes that aslan licks shasta's face and then in the next sentence he lifts up shasta's face and i said did he lift up Shasta's face with his tongue? With the force of his lick. I mean, okay, I guess, but that's a kind of, that's weird. That's weird. Oh, yeah. Anyway. But yeah, I, I do like that he's just kind of like there, but like not like, you find out that he was like a little bit more forcing things to happen than I, I would have liked, but I like that he's just kind of like, you know, he's the lion that brought Erebus and Shasta together and like comforted uh shasta when shasta was in the tombs and like drove the jackals away and like helped them reach Archenland in time and i was like okay i kind of like that he's just kind of like maneuvering in the background if we hadn't gotten i think i liked it more the that he has this moment with shasta i think the second scene with him with him and erebus and the horses is not as great and i would have probably cut that but like if you just had like minimal aslan throughout and then like people that like you know are chronicles and narnia fans could be like is that is that a lion do you think that's aslan like that could be kind of fun right like i like that aspect of it i think it's more interesting than having like aslan overtly romping around doing everything but yeah some of the the stuff in that second scene is not my favorite thing i also actually do like that whenever they try and ask Aslan about other people, he's like, that's, that's not your story. I'm not, I'm not tattletaling about other people. <laughs> I'm not here to like give you the heads up on what's going on. I'm only here to talk about you. Let's allow me to clarify. So I don't mind Aslan sort of making his cameos throughout the book where he steers the narrative in a his quote unquote subtle way. It's when he starts talking that I just like <laughs> find him so annoying because he he when he has his conversation with Shasta he talks about how he was always there and it's like all right I get what you're saying but it really did smack of that whole parable of like two sets of footprints walking down the beach it's so corny it is so so corny well and also the idea that like yeah God has a plan for you or whatever and the fact that like like Shasta's like, uh, I feel unfortunate. And Aslan's like, but actually, this is what you were supposed to do all along. And it's like, I actually did kind of like Aslan up to this point because I thought it was a really inventive way of illustrating the idea God works in mysterious ways. And it's sort of actually illustrating, well, what does that actually mean? I thought it was a, it was a really cool way of showing, yeah, Aslan's just kind of working in the background and we're not 
quite sure what he's doing or why, but it's like, that's just kind of how God operates, right? It's when he starts talking and sort of tooting his own horn that it loses me because it's like, all right, you're taking the mystery out of the mysterious ways. It doesn't give us room to interpret his actions and to interpret what that means about the characters that he's affecting, you know, especially in the case of Ervis, where it's just this super, just for me, very problematic idea of an eye for an eye kind of deal that only seems to happen to the woman in the story. And not just the woman, the woman of color. Exactly. And if you really think about it and dig into this, it's like, you don't think Shasta got his adoptive father in trouble for stealing the horse? Why is the punishment only being relegated out to Erevis? And actually, I, I like the idea that you that you brought up about making Erevis more active in the end of the book and actually going out even though she's injured to help others that would be a good setup to sort of give her an opportunity to sort of bow out and be like i'm just going to take care of myself but then decide despite my own obstacles i'm just going to go out there and do my best that would have been a good way of showing because there you know every religion has to tackle the issue that like bad things happen in the world and why do they happen and some of the thinking from certain religious folks is that like bad things are opportunities to improve ourselves. And that would have been a great moment to illustrate that, to show how a character can use adversity in order to become better. But instead we get this <laughs> extremely condescending notion that like Erevis didn't even consider the, the slave who was punished. So she needs to be punished so she understands. And it's the third edition of <laughs> QCS Lewis. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think you're right. And I think you've done a very good job of convincing me that there is a lot more potential in this book than maybe I was giving it credit for. Because I... I it's totally understandable. It's super racist. There, There's nothing positive for me here. But like, you're bringing me around. So I do appreciate that because I think there are pieces here. And I hope that, you know, for anyone listening, that you can take away, like, things to avoid, things to watch out for, ways to make characters and to examine culture in interesting ways and to use characters to examine that culture that is actually fulfilling and leads to satisfying, compelling narratives for these characters. Because there is a compelling narrative in here that, C.S. Lewis just completely missed and I hope that you can take away from that and, and recognize you know I can learn how to not just be a racist asshole but more than that how to examine culture in ways that are productive and positive and not condescending and not dismissive of somebody who's just different from yourself yes <laughs> Speaking of, of insulting, do you want to talk about Rabidash? <sighs> yeah. All right. So uh, I didn't mention this in my summary, but Rabidash. Oh, yeah. I forgot Aslan shows up here, too. And uh, again, I would have preferred if he didn't. Rabidash fails in his attack. He's captured. He's, like, defeated in a really humiliating way where, like, he is trying to jump down on, I believe, Edmund. And he gets caught on basically the wall. And so he's like stuck hanging there. 
So that's humiliating for him. And then they lock him up, not in the dungeons. We're specifically told he's locked up in a, like, nice-ass room. Because, you know, white people are great. Please read the sarcasm in there. Yes. Uh, anyhow, so then he's brought out, and he refuses to apologize, and he's still like, I'm gonna get Susan. You all suck. You're the worst. I think Aslan, like, basically gives him, like, an opportunity to repent, and he, like, makes this weird face at Aslan. (laughs) (laughs) It's a weird moment. I don't even know how to describe it. So I'm not going to try, but basically Aslan turns him in to a donkey and curses him so that if he ever strays more than like, what is it? Like Ten five miles. miles, 10 miles from Tashban ever again, he will get turned back into a donkey. And then we're told. And he'll never be able to change back. Kind of like animorphs. Right. <laughs> like animorphs. <laughs> so then uh, when... He goes back to Tashban. He does end up eventually becoming Tizrak. And because he cannot leave Tashban and he doesn't want his people to like be winning wars without him and to get all the glory without him, he doesn't go to war. So he becomes called to his face, Rabadash the Peacemaker. But then behind his back, everyone calls him Rabadash the Ridiculous. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> One. Him getting turned into a donkey is like, okay, that's... That's not good. I will say, I will say, uh, there is actually, there is a moment where Edmund literally (sighs) compares Rabidash and possibly all color means to apes. He literally says, maybe apes will grow honest, sister. Okay, that's not good. Wait, okay, wait. Sorry, I'm sorry. I need to further unpack that within the Narnian universe where animals can talk. So one, we have not seen any apes in Narnia, but I guess maybe there are apes. And are they known for being dishonest? Is this like a weird, like, I'm sorry. There's just a whole other element of this because it's like Narnia where there are talking animals. What what does that mean? I wonder if um that's any way tied into i can't remember if he was working on the last battle at this point where the main antagonist is a deceitful ape is it oh i had forgotten this oh yes i remember this wow i know something i remember that you don't about chronicles of narnia unbelievable yeah this is actually this is a shocking moment yes so i don't know if c.s lewis is trying to allude to that but comparing people of color to apes. It's bad. Maybe like just thought in general. Let's not compare people to animals. Let's not compare people to animals is generally good advice. Unless it's a, in a positive way. If you're saying like someone is lion-like. Yes, I in fact do. I have, my little sister has hair that often looks like a very gorgeous lion mane. And I like to tell her this. You're so weird. You have no idea. But like... (laughs) (laughs) Let's just not compare people to animals. Compare people to animals in a pejorative sense. It is bad news. Just don't do it. Yeah. And I think that it's hard with the whole turning people into animals thing, because obviously that's like a storytelling thing that happens a bunch in like a whole bunch of stories. Like 
I could start listing them and not stop for forever. But like, uh, this is actually a good question. I'm not sure any other character gets turned into an animal. Uh, not quite sure. <laughs> Someone else does get turned into a mythical creature, for sure. But I don't know if anyone else gets turned into an animal in these books. I suppose uh, Strawberry gets transformed into a Pegasus. Or, excuse me, a flying horse. A flying horse. Thank you. Uh, anyway we're getting so derailed please yes but i'm just i'm trying to say that the fact that like this was the choice of punishment for a person of color is very charged if this was just like if a bad person always got turned into an animal in the narnia books maybe not as bad if uncle andrew got turned into i don't know like an aardvark or something yeah or so yeah white wish got turned into a rat like okay i guess yeah Although rats are very nice creatures, you know, let's not besmirch the good yes, name a, of rats. But they have a bad stereotype. I feel like donkeys are also fine. I don't know. Are donkeys they, mean? They, well, they produce as <laughs> milk, so I guess they're a big deal. <sighs> Goodness. <laughs> I think the, the long and short of it is that he is overly humiliated, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with the gist of that, because up to this point, he's been painted as an extremely prideful character. And you know what? I think that, so I, I like, even if we have him be humiliated and have him be awful and all of those things, like the idea that then this experience causes him to become Rabidash the Peacemaker is actually like kind of interesting. I guess like we don't, okay, you don't have to redeem your villains. Your villains can just be villains. Rabidash is shown to be a really bad dude. It's okay that he's not redeemed. But also could have been really interesting to actually be like, yeah, he had this whole experience and he he decided war was bad. And so he didn't do war things. And that was good. Yeah, so like his character could be redeemed or, you know, you could sort of extend that out. Like in some way it, it reforms the standing culture in Calamon where like, I don't know, maybe they they stop owning slaves or something. I don't know. It has some impact that's positive, regardless if it changes him as a character, then maybe like maybe his sons are more peaceful out of their own volition, not because they've been cursed to never venture out more than 10 miles from their city. Or even like, it's okay if he continues to still be awful and only like is a peacemaker because he feels he has to be, but like have like, instead of the people being like, ah, he's so ridiculous, which like, I guess they could still be too, but like have the narrative be like, and the people were really grateful that they weren't forced to go to war anymore. Like, and everyone was like, yeah, he's ridiculous, but he's the ridiculous dude who's not making us go to war. So we're glad now. Yeah. It's, it's so easy. It was, ah, It's such an easy right. setup. Or like, it's a kind of a fun nickname because they're like, he's Rabidash the Ridiculous, but he brought us this good thing. So there's so, yeah, there's so many opportunities here. It's just used. It's punishing him for the sake of punishing him. And it's like to the point, like it's so mean spirited, the actual scene where he gets changed into a donkey because it, it describes how everyone in attendance couldn't help but laugh and they just kept laughing and laughing and laughing at this horrific scene of somebody changing into a completely different animal and losing completely their ability to speak to communicate to be a person 
they they are literally stripping him of all agency which again is fine if there's some lesson learned from that because in essence that's what he wanted to do to susan but there isn't it's just completely mean-spirited it's like in old episodes of law and order where they they catch the bad guy and as the bad guy is being led away and says i'm gonna get my vengeance on you then the detectives respond very much alluding to the idea of prison rape and sort of using that as like well that is justice you did this bad thing so the same bad thing happening to you is justice and it's like no 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 just because rabidash okay rabidash is awful he wants to I mean, basically, yeah, rape and imprison Susan. He uh, is clearly just, like, not a good person. That does not mean it is okay to, like, do horrible things to him. Yeah. The goal should be just to prevent him from doing horrible things to anyone else. And it's it's just the idea of reform. Like, there is no chance for him getting redemption this way. And to me, the idea of these being Christian novels it smacks so much of hypocrisy and I'm not saying, you know, again, Rabidash is a bad dude. He deserves some kind of punishment, but if, if your notion of your religion or your beliefs or values is that redemption should be allowed, that rehabilitation should be possible and it is possible making every effort to deny somebody access to that ability to rehabilitate themselves you might need to re-examine your beliefs the only chance rabidash is really given is um when aslan is entering he says rabidash take heed your doom is very near but you may still avoid it forget your pride what have you to be proud of and your anger who has done you wrong i accept the mercy of these good kings which and then I guess he, Rabidash is like, no, demon, demon, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, Then Aslan is like, have a care, Rabidash. The doom is nearer now. It is at the door. It has lifted the latch. And so these are these are the two moments that Rabidash is supposedly given to repent. And and obviously Rabidash is being like very antagonistic during this entire scene before this even happens. He's uh, saying some really nasty stuff. I think this book actually has the first instance of like the narrator being like, he said a whole bunch of bad things that I'm not going to reprint here. That is Rabidash talking about Susan. So like uh, the, maybe Aslan's warnings are <laughs> are justified in that Rabidash is, is not, is being really horrible. So like he doesn't deserve to necessarily be like sweetly coaxed into changing his ways. But still, like, I think that if maybe what needed to be there is Aslan being like, okay, so here's your punishment. You're getting turned into a doggy, I guess. Still don't love that. But like, say, this is your punishment. If you ever go 10 miles away from Tashban, uh, you will, this will happen again. It will be permanent. And, but maybe there's the caveat of like, if you actually learn your lesson, like if you forget your pride, forget your anger and ask for forgiveness, then it will be entirely lifted. Maybe just like that, that opportunity of there being, a future in which maybe he can be redeemed. I mean, even getting outside the the issues of that, in some ways, that is then enforcing Narnian culture onto Calamines. Yes. I mean, that's a whole nother. And I, I, I'm not saying that you're saying that, because I, I think that there is a way to do what you're basically 
suggesting without getting into that and just allowing Rabidash to reform and become a better person. That doesn't necessarily mean he needs to start worshipping Aslan in the process, but he can just recognize that, like, hey, I did some terrible things, and I need to reform as a person because that's not right. But he is not allowed that, and it's... You know, I think last time I talked about how for Magician's Nephew, I guess both books, really, there's this idea that certain races are allowed the opportunity to reform, whether that's in the direction of becoming more good or becoming more evil. By essentially not giving Rabidash that opportunity, the book is essentially saying that there are certain, certain races of humanity that can't be reformed. And that is probably the most dangerous line of thinking that is promoted in this book not to say that c.s lewis believes that he certainly does not but that is the implication here and it is supremely dangerous to think that hopefully for reasons that are obvious yeah <laughs> so again we can fix rabidash netflix let us do this. Give us the job. We can do it. We'll do a very good job. Please let us fix this. We've just <laughs> talked for uh, almost three hours about how we can fix this. <laughs> we can do it. Yeah. There, there's really nothing that says, like, we're going to fix it. Then two white people coming in to a story oh, be fair. like, yeah, we got this. Let us. <laughs> Let us consult, but actually have your writers be people of a Middle Eastern culture. You're right. We need own voices representation for the story. Let us be story consultants and help. Let us let us write an episode or two, okay? We would be great. Netflix, give us a call. Yes. So. <laughs> All right. Do we want to wrap up with talking about like the few things that we can wholeheartedly like about this book? Yes. Let's let's close on a couple of positives just to get some good energy out there. Uh, do you, do you want to start? Sure. So I feel like we'll probably be talking about the same things, but uh, again, uh, Clive does a great job with description. Sometimes he can write very beautifully. I think the two bits that really uh, stuck out to me. Shasta having to be in the tombs alone and just like the eeriness of the tombs. Ah, the ghouls, yes. Yes, that whole scene, I really, I found so spooky as a kid and like rereading it this time, I was like, yeah, this is still good shit. This is a tangent, yes. but I just want to say, I love the word ghouls. If, if I could only say one word of the English language for the rest of time, it would be ghouls. I was so excited to see that word in this book it's so fun everybody just just say it with me ghouls it's so much fun you're so weird you have no idea i'm glad that you enjoyed that moment <laughs> <laughs> um also the desert crossing is great i love the scene of them crossing the desert i like that yep and actually when they're being chased together initially by aslan I love that scene, too. That is a good scene. I did like that. The confusion that it sounded like there were two lines. And then later, the revelation that it was actually just the one. Yeah. So I think those are those are my moments that I really wholeheartedly loved. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's funny you mentioned the desert because I did not like that part. 
Oh. I am very disappointed! Certain descriptions stand out the way that when Shasta first enters the battle at the end, the way he describes it, it's really gnarly. It's really frantic and chaotic. And I thought that was very well done. Uh, let's see. What else do I have in my notes? Oh, I do also love that Corin just wants to box people all the time. <laughs> That's great. He apparently goes and boxes a bear at some point. Love that. Love that for him. Yeah, he just boxes a bear. And uh, you know what? Good for him. I... Living his best life. <laughs> hey, did you hear that? Sounds like the giraffe is dying over there. Yeah, I like I said, ghouls. I really did love that. I did appreciate that when all the characters got separated in Tashban and they kind of had to figure out their own ways of getting out of the city. And you really saw... The, the tension in that scene of waiting for each other and trying to figure out, like, how are we going to reunite? I thought that was, narratively speaking, really well done. And problematic stuff aside, I really did enjoy the scene with Lass and Erevis working together. And these two very different people who nonetheless respect each other, coming together, working together, being willing to work with each other and for each other. Like the fact that even though Lass is like really adamant, like, hey, Erevitz, you should stay. Don't go. The fact that at the end of the day, Lass respects Erevitz's decision to leave and helps her out. And I really do appreciate that, that that moment is in here. Agreed. I think that's about it. I will never recommend anyone to read this book. And I think you feel the same way yeah i know it is part of an extremely popular series i know that parents read these books to their kids like i do i do actually respect what you were saying about your dad earlier how even though he read this book to you he did make sure to emphasize that this book is full of outdated thinking and i think that is just something if you're a parent and you decide to read this book to your kid or to have your kid read this book be mindful of that, like approach that and be willing to talk about that with your kid. Because even even though this, like I said, I think this book is despicable. I think there is a learning opportunity here for anyone who does read it to sort of talk about race in a way that can be positive and beneficial for everybody. And, and Amy, read it, read it in conjunction with reading another book that does portray you know, Middle Eastern characters better or Middle Eastern coded characters better. I believe there are. So there is a uh, Rick Riordan who um, wrote the Percy Jackson series, among many other series, has, I believe, now a sort of publishing label called like Rick Riordan Presents. It is for books for kids that are normally about like, it normally has something to do with like the gods of different cultures because it ties in with the whole Percy Jackson thing, which is about the Greek gods. I know for a fact that there's one that uh, deals with like, actually, it might actually be Middle Eastern mythology. I will have to look it up and put it in the show notes. If so, it's either Middle Eastern or Indian, and I cannot remember which. I'm sorry. But like, I believe there are other books in that Rick Riordan's Presents label that do talk about other cultures and, and have, you know, kids of those cultures interacting with them and are fantasy and 
I think that probably a, one of those books, I have not read any of them, so I can't give real recommendations, but that might be a great type of book to read alongside this book if you really want to read this to your kids to say, okay, so here's how it's done badly, and then here's a good example. I will leave off on the note that our country is going through a crisis right now, and a lot of people are grappling with issues that are big and really painful for a lot of us. And I think rather than run from that and hide from that, this is an opportunity to to read the kind of stories that will make us more thoughtful and more mindful of the experiences of others. Books are a way for us to learn about and interact with whether it's cultures or experiences or people or historical periods of time that we would not otherwise have access to. To speak more personally, I grew up in a little town called San Luis Obispo on the central coast of California. That city is very white and very homogenous. I did not have the kind of interactions with, with people from diverse backgrounds that others might have had. So I just did not know about those different cultures, those different religions, those different nationalities. And books were one way for me to learn about people who were different from me. Books are extremely, they're extremely powerful tools for learning about anything. And so really just want to emphasize, like take advantage of this time right now to pursue books that are outside of what you may normally read. Look for diverse voices, look for diverse stories, because that's, that's just how we learn about each other. So this is a time where we can really try to learn from and grow and be better and to treat others better. Indeed. Here, here, Casey. Well, so next time, I what, what book are we talking about next time? All right. So next time we go back to the, the main story, <laughs> I guess. Of, so we'll be reading Prince Caspian. So this would be, I guess, the second book that uh, Clive wrote, or at least the second book he completed. And we get to see our crew, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund again. You know what? I'm going to be very, very interested to see how we feel about this one. Yeah, I'm excited. Positive note, I think there's less racism, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Only one way to find out. We, yeah. And very excited because this is the book that made me fall in love with Edmund. So <laughs> hopefully this will just be me and my bae having a good time. That's very exciting. All right. Thank you guys for like sticking with us through all of this hopefully like uh, everyone felt safe and comfortable in terms of this discussion and stay safe out there in general guys all right until next time hasta la vista baby <laughs>